The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. Please stand for a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 19 through 33. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up. Take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Ross, you remember uh, playing ultimate Frisbee at uh, Camp Alpine, soaking in ice at the end of the day, Pounding ibuprofen, trying to keep up with those young guys. Hello. Uh, you may not know me. Uh, my name's David Arthur. Um, <clears throat> I was actually ordained here in 2000. And uh, when I was being questioned in the Book of Church Order, that's that big blue book we pastors have to know and understand, they asked me, what is the difference between an associate and an assistant pastor? And at this time, I'd had so many questions, I started to feel a little snarky, and I said, well, I don't know, about 10 grand. <laughs> uh, well, I need to change that because I'm paid a dollar a year to be your part-time assistant pastor, so it's much more than 10 grand. 
Uh, it is a privilege and an honor to be with you. Uh, if you will, you can keep in prayer. Um, uh, will uh, was supposed to be preaching upstairs this morning and uh, was tested post-positive uh, Friday for COVID. Uh, feeling fine, everything's good, but um, uh, you can pray for him. So, or pray for Brian actually right now. Brian just found out Friday and he's up there preaching a sermon that he hadn't had a whole lot of runway to get to. So, uh, with that, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you so much uh, for your word and, uh, Lord, for preserving it for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who guides and leads us into all truth, who reminds us of the things that your Son taught us, who empowers us and encourages us. Lord, we, we desperately want to hear from you this morning from your word. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, attention, you would uh, block distraction, you would give our hearts sensitivity, and that you would shape and mold our wills uh, according to yours. Lord, we ask these things with great expectation and hope, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's this idea in motorcycle riding called target fixation. You heard of this? Uh, The principle behind target fixation is, is you go where you look. And I'd heard this before, but the first time I really experienced it was I was doing the Mid-Atlantic Backcountry Discovery Route. It's a six-day, 700-mile ride all the way from Virginia to New York, all on, on trails and we were, we had stopped with one guy. There's about six of us stopped with one guy and we we're working on his bike and stuff. And so we got it fixed. And so we needed to catch up. Well, to catch up, we needed to go faster than we were normally going. And so we were getting it. We were hitting this and it was a nice gravel road. We came around a corner and it, the, the road sloped down to some trees and a fence and, and going too hot into that corner, I looked up and the first thing I saw was a wooden fence. And I couldn't not look at the wooden fence. And I gave up on trying to, to save myself and slide this thing around this gravel corner. I think we're, I may be doing 40, 45 miles an hour drifting into this corner. And I keep looking at this fence and you know where I went. Now, praise the Lord, I didn't hit the fence. I hit a tree next to the fence, a nice soft flurry fir tree. Uh, but the point is, is where you go, that's, I mean, excuse me, where you look, that's where you're going to go. And we're going to see this in our passage today in Deuteronomy. You remember Deuteronomy is, uh, it's generation number two. So these are the children of the people that we're going to read about. These are the, pe- the children that have grown up suffering the, the consequences of their parents' rebellion 40 years Uh, in the wilderness, and and now they're back at the promised land. And so Deuteronomy is, honestly, if you want to kind of sum her up, it's a remembrance book. And as we've heard already, it's a covenantal renewal. So it's, it's now we're about to go into the promised land, and so let's renew our agreement. Let's renew our covenant with the Lord. And so what he's doing, it looks like, at least in these first several chapters, is he's going to point back and he wants them to remember. Now it's interesting because they're really remembering what their parents did. Uh, but you can imagine around the house, around the table, there were stories and 
on how they were first there. If you want to dig into it, go to Numbers chapter 13 sometime and look at it. It's very, he unpacks this whole story very well for us. So we're looking at um, this covenantal renewal, and it's going to require us to remember. Just a couple comments before we jump in the text. First of all, Scott Jones and Brian Salter did a bang-up job in the pillar and ground. Thank you. <laughs> the pillar and ground podcast. Anybody heard this? All right, so three of you. All right, you need to go put this, uh, get, listen to this podcast. It's a weekly podcast, but this one is Scott Jones, professor at Covenant College, brilliant guy. It's phenomenal. Uh, really does a good job, and they talk about why should we be studying Deuteronomy. So first of all, just jot that down in your notes somewhere. You can go to the website, the lmpc.org website, and you can find the podcast there. Uh, secondly, we are, as a church, preparing uh, to renew. It's our, our three-year uh, project campaign that we're working on, uh, and renewing has a lot to do, so that's why the pastors have, and the elders have taken us uh, to the book of Deuteronomy. And so I just want to encourage you to remember the context. It's not just about them. It is also about us. Um, so he's going to call us to remember here, uh, and I'm saying us because I'm going to throw us into the bucket. You'll see why in just a second. But he's going to call us to first remember our rebellion. That's the first thing we want to look at. Here's the principle that we want to get at remembering our rebellion. It is this. We need to, it's real basic, we need to learn from our mistakes. We need to look back at the mistakes and we need to learn from Daryl Hill told me one time, I just had, when I was working, I just left working for him at Generous Giving, went to Precept, and it didn't take long to make a big, huge, whopping mistake. And he said, David, don't ever waste a mistake. Go back and see what you can learn from it. Uh, and in order to do that, I want to first, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to show you two really key passages, I think, in the New Testament to help us understand Honestly, I think why we have the Old Testament, or a major reason why we have the Old Testament. This is 1 Corinthians 10, uh, and Paul's writing, of course, to the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 1, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. Do you hear the alls in there? <laughs> They're everywhere. He goes on in verse 4, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Referring to our text that we're going to be looking at. Verse 6, he tells us why. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And then he's going to go through the next couple of verses and list some specifics, but I want to drop us down to verse 11. He says, now these things, talking about this example, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Who's the hour? He says, on whom the end of the ages come. Verse 11 just introduces Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church into this context. This that we're studying today is written down 
for us and for our instruction. One other passage, Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 4. If you don't have your Bibles, jot down the reference. Go back uh, this afternoon and check these out. These are, these are really crucial, I think, to understanding the Old Testament. He says this in, in Romans 15, verse 4. He says, whatever was written in former days, okay, so the context here would be the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, so Paul is telling us here in this verse, what was happening in the old days was written down for us, endurance, encouragement, and here's the fruit, hope. So when we study Deuteronomy, what should we be looking for? What should we have expectations for? I think the text is clear. We ought to listen. We ought to study. We ought to remember that we might have hope. That tells us that what we're studying in Deuteronomy has implications and applications for today and for tomorrow. Okay, all those preliminaries done. I'm sorry. I've always got to set context. Let's go to this rebellion. So go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're looking back at our text. It's printed there for you in the bulletin. And we're going to be looking at the rebellion. And the question I want to ask is, where did it go wrong? I mean, these are the people that walked through the Red Sea. These are the people that witnessed the army of the most powerful nation in the world drown in their pursuit of them. These are the people that woke up every day to bread from heaven. When they wanted meat, he sent them so much meat it made them sick. These are the people that when they had fallen under a curse because of disobedience, they looked upon a serpent on a pole and they were healed. These people had lots and lots of examples, didn't they? So where did it go wrong? I think if you look at the text, what I've gone through is I've marked every time I see the word see, S-E-E or saw, any kind of tense of see, and to see what they saw. And I think this is going to help us understand it. So let me show you the first one. Look at verse 19. He says, Then we set out from Horeb and went out through and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw. On the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Okay, so what did they see in their journey? And all you need to do is, I, I think uh, July 24th, I read in the bulletin, Brian's going to share about his trip to Israel. Um, I've been there a bazillion times. We, we go every year uh, leading a teaching tour, and I've actually ridden a motorcycle through this wilderness, and it is great and terrifying. Uh, think Arizona desert. I just... Nothing there. So what did they see? Well, they saw that great and terrifying wilderness. But in that, I think what we can say is as they're going through that wilderness, they had to see a lot of things that were incredible. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly there were over 600,000 men over the age of 20 in this group. Okay, 600,000 men over the age of 20. If, if you do some simple assumptions in math, you might end up with about 2 million people. Can you imagine how much water it would take every day in the hot desert to keep alive 2 million people? It's not like there's lakes and streams. Um, we already saw in 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock 
gave the water, and of course he refers to the rock as Christ, but this must have been incredible. So that's, they saw God's deliverance of their people for 40 years. Um, in that great and terrifying wilderness, they also came across enemies and Og and, and, uh, and, and Sihon and all these nasty sounding kings. Og, we're, we find out in that Bible, he was so big that his bed was made of iron. He was a massive man, uh, maybe tied to these guys we're going to read about in a minute, the sons of Anakim, uh, giants. Uh, that's what they saw. Look at verse 21. He says, See... The Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Okay, so what else did they see? Well, they saw this long-awaited promised land. Um, All the way back, uh, they've been waiting to get to this promised land. 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They're going to be delivered. Uh, What else did they see? Look at verse 25. Uh, It says, when the 12 spies came out, this is what they saw. They took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, brought it down to us, and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that our God is giving you. Uh, They saw the fruit. Um, In some of the parallel uh, passages in Numbers, uh, you got guys with a pole, and they got pomegranate and grapes. It must have been enormous. Uh, this this fruit and labor, and nobody disagreed, this is really good. This is what he said it would be. Um, They saw that the land was good. Okay, those are some of the positive things they saw. Let's take a a different perspective and look at some of the negatives. Look at verse 28. 28 says, where are we going up? This is their question. Uh, Our brothers have made our hearts melt with this message. Here's the message that made them terrified. The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, almost as if that's not enough, we have seen, there's that key word again, the sons of the Anakim there. Uh, Giants with walls that go to the heavens. That's what they saw. They saw something that was impossible. When they looked at their circumstances, when they looked at the mission ahead of them, using their eyes, they came up with, this is not going to work. It gets worse. Uh, Back up to verse 27, Uh, he says, out of verse 26, you rebelled. Here's what it looked like. 27, you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us. Wow. Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give into us the hands of the Amorites and with this purpose, to destroy us. They saw the impossible, and it changed the way they saw God. Can you relate? Has there been an episode or a season in your life where things just weren't what you wanted or what you expected? 
And as you looked at the situation, that situation began to have an influence on how you looked to God. God hated us. Now, it's interesting to do a little bit of word study and some research and some some commentary work. You find out this word hated is used in this context throughout the Old Testament. It is oftentimes an equivalent to God has not chosen us. It's as if God brought them out and changed his mind. Now, I'll tell you, there was a really close one in Numbers... God said to Moses, I'm going to kill them all, and I'm going to give you a new people. (laughs) I often wonder how long it took Moses to think about that one. (laughs) Moses will tell us in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says, you people have been stubborn ever since I've known you. Rebellious people. It's beautiful, though. He doesn't, and he goes and beseeches the Lord upon, upon the behalf of the people. But there is a time and there is a season sometimes in our lives and a journey where we begin to see our circumstances and then reinterpret who we think God really is. They had believed God had hated them. The conclusion for us then is in verses 26 and 32. These are really, one verse kind of leads to the other. If you look at verse 26, He says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. What does it mean? What does it look like to rebel against the Lord our God? Drop down to verse 32. He says, yet in spite of this word, we'll come back and look at that word in a second, but yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Rebellion looks like unbelief. What led to this rebellion? Well, they're looking with their eyes and they're going where they're looking. And they're looking at the wrong things. They're looking at the impossible circumstances. They're looking at a God who they have now deemed hates them, has rejected them, no longer has chosen them. The rebellion simply is they did not believe, they did not have faith in God. We all know faith is not a New Testament subject. Faith is an Old Testament subject as well. Really clearly cases made in Romans chapter 4 where he talks about Abraham having faith in God, being 100 plus years old, being told you're going to have a son. Paul tells us in Romans, that's how he was made righteous, declared righteous. It was his faith. It's always been by faith. Here we see, because they didn't believe, they were in rebellion. It seems to me that their faith was being replaced by what they were looking at. They knew where to go. They knew who to follow. And yet, when they got to the circumstances, they decided to set aside their faith and to go where they're looking. Um, Yuck, right? Yuck. And I know we read the Old Testament sometimes, and it's so distant, it's so far away. Um, But remember what we learned from Paul in Corinthians and Romans. This This is for us. These are examples for us. 
And so in what ways are we setting aside our faith and we're focused on what we're looking for? Um, before we go to application, let me take us now to our second point, and that is this. We need to remember God's faithfulness. This is the good news. One of the things I do when I study uh, the Old Testament, actually when I study the whole Bible, because it's God's revelation of himself, I always want to know, what do I learn about God? And so I simply put a triangle over every mention of God, every pronoun, and then I go back to the text and I just make a list. What does the text say about God? And there's a beautiful list here. I've kind of categorized it in three different ways. Uh, and I've got it on the idea of what do they see about God? Okay, so we've seen in the first point, they see their circumstances, they see God incorrectly. But if they're going to remember their faithfulness, what do they see about God? The first one, this is, this is important, he is present. What do they see about God? He is present. Present, excuse me. Look at verse 30, the very first part of verse 30. Real simple statement, the Lord your God who goes before you. What did that look like for God to go before the people of Israel? You don't have to wonder. Uh, they knew where to go with a very clear guide. And that guide was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by the day, and it never left them. The cloud didn't follow them. They followed the cloud. How did they know where God was? You just walked out your tent and you looked up. Now, Psalms 105 verse 39 tells us that he was a covering by day with that cloud and he gave them light and warmth from that pillar of fire. Do the math. Two million people. If you don't really know what that looks like, Chattanooga is less than 500,000. So throw about four or five Chattanoogas in there. That's who needs to be covered by the sun to the day. This was a cosmic event. <laughs> this was no little, uh, like a member Charlton Heston, this was no little pillar of fire in the movie. This was something that was glorious. And that was there to remind people that God is with them. God is present. You and I, if we're followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are filled with the Spirit of God. And that initial filling of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, do you remember what happened on top of everybody's head when the Spirit was prophetically poured out upon them? Little pillars of fire, tongues of fire, Luke says, over every single person's head. We have the presence of God can I argue better than they did? They had to go outside their tent to experience the presence of God. You don't have to go anywhere. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He fills you uh, with that. That's uh, what they should see about God. Look at verse 33. Uh, verse, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 33. Speaking of God, who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by the day to show you by what way you should go. God's presence isn't just comforting and reassuring. God's presence is designed to lead us. 
having trouble knowing where to go, having trouble knowing what to do next, God is your guide. Uh, He is present for you. Number two, He provides. As we already saw in verse 20 and 21, uh, this report uh, from the spies, yes, the land is incredible. Just check out this fruit. God has given it to us. Um, He is our provider. Verse 25, the fruit again. But look at verse 31. I find this interesting. Uh, Thinking about God's provision, look at verse 31. He says, in the wilderness where you have seen, there's our key word again, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God's provision is not assistance. You know what I mean? It's not like we just need some help and he kind of steps in and gives us a little help. The way I understand theologically God's assistance is God scoops us up and he carries us. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Enemies of Christ. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't give us a helping hand when we need it. God scoops us up. He carries us as I carried my little two-year-old grandson across the hot pavement. I hold him, I bear him, And that's what's described here with the people of Israel. God is carrying you as a son. you got to know that when you look at the stories leading up to this point of, of time after time, of raining bread down, of providing water, of, of providing protection from these enemies, God is carrying his people through the wilderness seeking uh, a place for them, he says in verse 33, seeking out for you a place. God is not expecting you to figure it out. God is leading you and his people. And then thirdly, he protects. This is very clear in verse 30. He says very straight up, God himself will fight for you. Now, I love that. When When we get to the book of Joshua... And they go to battle against a conglomerate of armies. There's like 10 armies that have banded together to try to defeat them. And it said they pursued them in battle. God started hurling thrones from heaven. That's not a metaphor. That's not poetry. It said those stones killed more than the swords of the Israelites. God himself. You remember when they were crossing the Red Sea? They went ahead this time of the pillar of fire. Where did the pillar of fire stay? It stayed back to defend them against the Egyptian armies. God himself will fight for you. And so two times in our text, we get the instruction. First one's in verse 21 at the end. Do not fear or be dismayed. He repeats it again in verse 29. Then I said to you, do not fear uh, or do not be in dread or afraid of them. That's the instruction that we're to take what we see about God and we're to apply those things to our lives. And our response 
is to not be afraid. So what do we do with this? Let's talk application for just a minute. What do we do with this? Where are you looking right now? Let's be honest. Where are you looking right now? And these words hit home inflation? I read yesterday where it's over 9%. Worse it's been in 40 years. Injustice? Doesn't take long to see injustice. Moral decay? Who would have ever thought we'd have got to this point? Wars? Tyrants? I tell my mama, if your Fox News is on more than two hours a day, I'm coming up there and turning it off. If you're fixated on the problems of this society and the world and the things around us, I'm telling you, you're going to go where you're looking. You're going to hit the fence. You're going to go to where you don't want to go. So what is the solution? Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Yeah, if you've got your Bibles turned there, if not, jot it down, look at it later. But listen to what Hebrews chapter 1 tells us about faith. Here's the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things. Can you finish the sentence? Not seen. Faith is in believing in what you can't see. What do we do without faith? Look at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. If faith is secondary to you, if faith is something you're going to add when you think you might need it, I'm here to tell you it's impossible to please your God. We need to believe this, he says in verse 6, that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Those who know where to look. Now, last year I was in Colorado, again on my dirt bike, coming down a 14, 13, 14,000 foot pass called Black Bear Pass. It's just outside of Telluride. Google it. YouTube it, it'll freak you out. Coming down this pass, and it, you come around the corner, it's drop-off after drop-off. It's just about as wide as a Jeep. Um, off to the side is, I don't know, 1,000-plus-foot drop, waterfall. The road does this. You're going down. But I remembered target fixation. And so I didn't look at the cliff. <laughs> I didn't look at the beautiful, I did later when I stopped, at the beautiful view out into Telluride Valley. I was focused on the path ahead of me. I locked in on the path ahead of me. And guess what? I went where I looked. The author of Hebrews will tell us where to look. In chapter 12, verse 2, Jot it down, meditate on it, think about it. But he says in verse 2, after verse 1 of casting aside the sin that so easily entangles us and running with endurance the race set before us, he says this, and it's crucial, don't miss this. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. In the journey that is set before you, 
Where are you looking? Let's remember that God is faithful. Let's remember to look upon He, and He finishes that verse out in verse 2, who endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before Him. Brothers and sisters of Lookout Mountain Prez, where are you looking? If your gaze is upon your apps, if your gaze is upon the circumstances, if your gaze is upon anything other than God Himself, the Lord Jesus, and as revealed in His written Word, I'm telling you, faith is going to be difficult. Don't forget. Do not be afraid. Cast your eyes upon Him. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the reminder that we need to remember. Lord, the reminder that we need to look back upon where we have come, upon where your people have come, and to look ahead to the path that you have laid out before us, to the path that ultimately is secured and guided and is present and is provided in and of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Lord, do business with our hearts today. Show us, reveal to us, Lord, where our vision is cast off of that path. Make it clear to your people, Lord, that faith comes from looking at you looking only at you, seeing you for who you really are. Lord, we thank you for these truths, and we ask that you would glorify your name as we take these truths and apply them to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.